This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Well, I'm here to represent Christ Community Health Services. I am actually a pastor by training, and I never planned to be in healthcare. Uh, it sort of stumbled into it. I had always envisioned myself being in church ministry in some sort of capacity, but over the past five years, I have been in the very strange position of overseeing ministry and during the past year, healthcare ministry during a pandemic. This is all very new to me and nothing that I would have signed up for had I known what I was getting myself into. And one reality that I have, uh, of which I was really basically unaware before I came to CCHS, is how much injustice there is in healthcare. And for the most part, I think we miss this because healthcare has become incredibly politicized, hasn't it? Right? We think about the debates about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, insurance, disparities, access to care. There's all these debates on both sides about how to solve these issues. And I think that this pandemic has further politicized issues related to health care, right? Think about it. To gather or not to gather, to mask or not to mask, to, vac- to get the vaccine or to not get the vaccine. And it's polarized us. It's, it's become an issue. I have no intentions at all of speaking on the politics of healthcare. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to leave that to people much smarter than me to figure out because I don't know anything about that. But at some point, every human being is going to need healthcare. Is that not true? Right? If you were born, you probably were born in a hospital. Uh, at some point, you're going to need medical care. Right? All of us are going to need health care. And because of that, that makes health care not a political issue, but a human rights issue. Because we're all going to need it. And because every human being is made in the image of God, this is a deeply spiritual and theological issue. We cannot forget that in the midst of the nonsense of politics. And one of the realities is that this pandemic has exacerbated injustice in healthcare. Those disparities have gotten worse because of the pandemic. Martin Luther King said that of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. I agree with him. It's hard to see. And so when you look down at our specific city, the city of Memphis, if you get sort of this Venn diagram in your mind that if you are black or Hispanic, it doesn't mean that you're poor, right? But if you're poor, statistically, you're probably black or Hispanic. Do you understand? Do you see that in your head? So this issue of healthcare deals with race, with socioeconomics, with politics, with so much more. But dear Christian, please don't forget that one of Jesus' main ministries was healthcare. Think about this. So in Matthew 4, 23 and 9, 35, we have these summary statements of Jesus' ministry. And it says that he was going about preaching the good news of the kingdom, teaching in the synagogues, and healing sicknesses and diseases. You see, if we are the body of Christ, we should be busy doing, the similar, doing similar things that Jesus was doing. We should be about his business. And he was preaching, teaching, 
in healing sicknesses and diseases. Christians absolutely must care about health care, regardless of the politics of it. Regardless of all the cultural nonsense, we have to focus on these things. So this has been the focus of Christ Community Health Services for the past 25 years. Our, we exist to provide high quality health care to the underserved, but to do that in the context of distinctively Christian service, recognizing that Jesus Christ is the true healer of individuals and their communities, and he's also the source of our ability to serve. We have four services, service lines. We offer primary medical care, so we're not in urgent care, we're not a hospital or anything like that. We do dental services, pharmacy, we also offer behavioral health. And then throughout all of that, we, we strive to meet people spiritually, and I'm gonna to talk to you about how we've done that a little bit here in just a second. We have sites in Orange Mound, Binghampton, Fraser, Raleigh, Hickory Hill, South Memphis. Just opened one in Jackson, Tennessee about two years ago. We have a homeless site uh, down off of Jefferson at Catholic Charities and a van that goes around to different homeless shelters. We have three school-based health centers. And by nature of what we do, we are the largest provider of primary care to the underserved in Memphis. And we are the provider of choice for the homeless and the refugees in our city. And the thing I am most proud to say about Christ Community Health Services is that we take everybody, regardless of insurance, regardless of employment, regardless of documentation, regardless of ability to pay, we just take everybody because we believe that this is a human rights issue and this is a theological issue, that that's what God would want us to do. Specifically in response to this pandemic, we have uh, we opened the first uh, drive-through testing site in an underserved neighborhood. The underserved neighborhoods were not getting testing for the most part, and so we jumped in and said, "We're gonna we're gonna open one up." And so we opened one up down in South Memphis and then expanded there. And now we offer testing at every single one of our locations and still run um, our our drive-through testing sites as well. Further, when the vaccination efforts shifted to the city's leadership, uh, we were one of the key partners identified to help lead uh, a vaccination site up, at, up in Raleigh uh, at Greater Amani Church. And then we've since opened up another vaccination site in South Memphis. We also offer vaccination at all of our locations and we give over a thousand vaccines per day um, in our city. And um, through all of this, we strive to offer the hope of Jesus Christ. We ask our patients on a regular basis, did anybody pray with you or otherwise meet your spiritual needs when you were at Christ's community? And I'm proud to say that 87.5% of our patients say yes, somebody prayed with them or otherwise met their spiritual needs while they were at Christ's community. I have a small team of spiritual health advisors who have spiritual conversations with people every single day. Uh, and last year they had 12,867 spiritual conversations. They made 845 church referrals. Uh, they presented the gospel 1,320 times to individuals. They saw 79 people recommit their life to Christ and 75 people accept Christ as their savior and Lord. Uh, one of my team members is a former missionary to uh, Spain, and he said he can't think of a better platform for sharing the gospel than healthcare. 
So I'm just very thankful. Uh, even though I never envisioned myself in a ministry like this, never saw myself doing this, I can see that God is at work in healthcare, and I'm just so thankful to be to be part of it. And so today's text, I say all this to set us up. You know, I gotta sell Christ community a little bit, right? That's part of the reason why I'm here. So, but today's text is actually a healthcare text, believe it or not. Uh, it is a healthcare text. You're going to see that here in just a second. But if we have ears to hear, it'll speak to us about how to be a good neighbor as well. So if you would stand with me and read Luke 10, 25 through 37, Luke 10. I'm going to read quickly because that's a lot of standing. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But this lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will uh, repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we trust your word when you tell us that by your Holy Spirit, you will guide us into all truth. And so, Lord, as we read your words, will you impress your truth upon our hearts and in our minds that we may live it out? Lord, we repent of the ways that we have not lived out your word, the ways that we have not been a good neighbor, the ways that we have turned and gone to the other side like the priest and the Levite. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you meet us in this moment and help us to be the people that you've called us to be, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of gratitude for what you've already done for us in Jesus. So we entrust these moments to you and ask that you would work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Writhing on the ground from a fall, I happened upon a middle-aged man and woman who had fallen into the street during busy rush hour traffic. Cars zoomed by, narrowly avoiding making this couple tragic roadkill. I stopped just shy of them. I turned on my emergency flashers and I asked if they needed help. I called 911 and then I quietly waited a safe distance from the couple until the paramedics arrived. When the ambulance arrived, I quickly got in my car and I went home. 
It's no mistake that I read the story of the Good Samaritan from Luke 10 earlier that week. In the story, we find a man who's been left for dead in the street. First, a priest passes by like dozens of cars probably did before I arrived on the scene in my story. And then a second man happens upon uh, this man left for dead, and he passed by on the other side of the street, just like people were angrily honking their horns and swerving out of the way, frustrated by the inconvenience of two hurting people serving as obstacles to their destination. And in Jesus' story, an unlikely man, a Samaritan felt compassion. He stopped his car, stopped his car, right? He stopped to care for the man in the street. He got close, he bound up his wounds, and he even went above and beyond by providing for and paying for the care of this victim. Unfortunately, in my story, there's no good Samaritan. There's just me. In that moment, I, I was what might have been a fourth man in Jesus' story. Jesus could have described my response like this. Yet another man passed by, and in seeing the man lying in the street, he stopped so that he wouldn't feel guilty for passing, but provided only the bare minimum that was required of him. I mean, I stopped, right? And I called the paramedics, but I also kept my distance. This was pre-pandemic. I didn't have to keep my distance. I just wanted to keep my distance. See, I thought that dilated eyes and slurred speech and an inability to recover equilibrium gave me the suspicion that these two were abusers of substances rather than the victims of robbers, like in the Luke passage. And in that moment, I felt like their drunkenness gave me permission not to get too close. The story from Luke 10 comes from a question, right? Jesus is asked by a lawyer how to inherit eternal life. The response, of course, is the sum of all the commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. But the lawyer had another question. The passage tells us, seeking to justify himself, he asked, well, who is my neighbor? He was trying to get out of it. He was trying to figure out where his boundaries were so he could avoid loving certain people. And Jesus tells him this story. You see, like the lawyer, I was hoping to justify myself. I knew I couldn't pass by and honor God, but I also didn't offer much help either. I stood there to make sure they didn't die until the paramedics arrived. And then as soon as they did, I got out of Dodge. I did not want anything to do with this couple. In reflecting on this encounter, I have to ask myself a very difficult question. Is my reaction in that moment a metaphor for how I treat my neighbors every single day? When I see my neighbors, am I guilty of doing the bare minimum so I can feel justified? As I answer this question, I know within my own heart that I have a tendency to, get, to not get too close. I give myself all kinds of excuses for this too. I justify my passivity because of my neighbor's behavior. I justify my distance because of some perceived indifference I think they're gonna have toward me. I may even justify myself because when I do reach out, they don't reach back. And so I justify myself. What's interesting about the story from Luke 10 is that neither the reaction nor the attitude of the victim is ever even mentioned. Have you noticed that? It doesn't say anything about the victim at all, hardly. Says he's there, and then everything else is on the focus of the other people. 
right? In fact, Jesus doesn't even mention, doesn't even answer the original question. The lawyer asked, and who exactly is my neighbor? Instead, Jesus asks him a question. Well, who proved to be a neighbor? The focus is on the reaction and attitude of the passers-by, not the victim. Will they be a neighbor to this man? And these passers-by may be just like me. They might be just like you. So what about you? When you search your heart, which person are you most like in the story? What's your natural tendency when you see your neighbors every single day? This is important for us to consider because many of us try to justify ourselves, don't we? In the story, Jesus is allowing the lawyer to see himself in the other two, but he's calling him to be like the Samaritan. And Jesus calls us to be like the Samaritan as well. We are called to be a good neighbor, aren't we? See, one very common and good biblical hermeneutic is for us to avoid looking at Bible stories and saying we need to be like a particular character. It's very important for us to realize you are not David fighting the Goliaths in your life. That's just not a thing. You're not Daniel in the lion's den. Those are real historic stories of real people, not analogies for the challenges that we face. We learn important things about God and his heart for us and his character from those stories, but the command is not for us to be like Daniel or to be like David or any other human character in these stories. But that's not the case with the Good Samaritan. Jesus actually says, you need to be like the Good Samaritan. You should go and do just like this guy. Go and do likewise. In other words, he's saying, you go and be just like this character. This is what it means to be a good neighbor. So Jesus flips the question around the lawyer and says, which of the passers-by proves to be a neighbor? And the lawyer's response is key. He would not utter the Samaritan. Because as you probably know, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. So Jesus has put, the, has put this lawyer in the very precarious position of viewing the person he's most tempted to hate and acknowledge that this is the hero of the story. Instead of acknowledging the Samaritan and uttering those words, the lawyer simply replies, the one who shows mercy. Nonetheless, he's correct. A good neighbor is one who shows mercy. So what does it mean to show mercy? How, how do we do that? How, how do we show mercy? Well, first, a good neighbor shows mercy, even if it's out of the way. If you're one of those people who really likes points, that's point one for you right there, right? Jesus, a good neighbor shows mercy, even if it's out of the way. I mean, that's what we see in the passage, isn't it? Two times the passage says, he went to him, right? He went out of his way. He went to where he was. In other words, the good Samaritan changed his own location to go to the man. This is important because it's in contrast to the other two men who what? Passed on the other side. They changed their location to avoid the man. They didn't want anything to do with this guy. So they, all, they went out of their way. A good neighbor draws near and shows mercy even if it's out of the way. My wife and I lived over here in East Memphis very close to Sam Cooper for years. And one day we were invited, uh, we invited a neighbor to go to the children's museum with us, right? 
And so we talked about directions and found that uh, instead of zipping down Sam Cooper, this woman wanted to uh, take a bunch of side streets and cut through to get over to the Children's Museum. We said, why don't, why don't you just go down Sam Cooper and take a left on Hollywood, right? It takes you right there. Hollywood is right there. Uh, Hollywood is right where the Children's Museum is. And her response was this, I don't like to go to that part of town. See, I think many of us have developed habits to avoid certain parts of town, haven't we? We don't want to see certain things in our city. We perceive those places as being unsafe. And I imagine there's some wisdom in a decision like that. I, don't, I, I have to drive through those places to, because of my work. So I'm, I'm in there daily. Like That's a normal thing for me. But I imagine there's some wisdom to it. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for that. But here's what I want to say to you. We need to remember that those people in those parts of town are our neighbors. Those are real human beings living in real homes in our city. Those are the very neighbors that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Being a good neighbor may require us to go out of our way to places that make us uncomfortable, to people that make us uncomfortable. I mean, that was the case with the Samaritan, right? I don't imagine he was signing up to go and meet some guy left for dead. He, that was not on the agenda for the day. But his agenda changed when he came upon his neighbor. I don't know what the answer is for you. I don't know what would be best for you, your family, your situation. I can't speak into that. In fact, one of the things I really appreciate about this passage is Jesus doesn't try to answer that for the, for the lawyer either. He just presents what God's heart is, and then he leaves it to him to determine what that looks like. And I think that he intends that for us as well. If he got too specific, we would go back to justifying ourselves, wouldn't we? And so he leaves it to us to search our own hearts. So if you wanna be a good neighbor, it's gonna have to, it's gonna mean though, you're probably gonna have to go out of your way. This may be as difficult as crossing the street or reaching out to that person in your office. You know, if you still go into the office, anybody still work somewhere? Or maybe you even have to go out of your way to show love and compassion to someone who has not been kind to you, who has not been gracious to you. As you pray, I trust that the Holy Spirit will set upon your heart and your mind a person or situation that you are called to be a good neighbor if you're willing. Or you might just stumble upon it as you're going about your day. But as we focus, the Holy Spirit will bring that moment to us. So as good neighbors, we show mercy even if it's out of the way. But a good neighbor also shows mercy even when it's messy. So that's point two, point two, everybody, right? Even when it's messy. We show mercy even when it's messy. In verse 34, we see that the good Samaritan bound up his wounds, set him on his own animal, walked a journey with them to an inn, which would have been the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of a hospital. He, the passage says that he took care of him for the night. That surprised me when I was studying this passage for this. He stayed the night with this dude. That's weird, right? This was not a few hours in a soup kitchen. He was and then heading back home, right? He was there for the night with this guy, staying in the room, probably waking up over and over to check on this guy. Things got messy, right? 
He likely had this man's blood and sweat and dirt on him. He had to pick him up and put him on his own animal, right? The good Samaritan may have been on his, some, uh, on his way somewhere where he needed to look good, like a wedding or a party. We don't know where he was headed, but he didn't worry about that. He stopped. He showed mercy by getting messy. And we get messy when we get close to people, don't we? Right? As you get close to people, it's going to be messy. One of my favorite events that Christ Community does is we do a big Christmas banquet for our homeless neighbors. And we have this huge meal and live music, and we let folks send cards to their loved ones, and we even have a very uncomfortable time of karaoke. It gets weird real fast. So my team is always invited to, have, uh, to offer prayer for anybody who needs it. And one year, this large black man comes up as if he was just wanting to pray with me and nobody else. Like he singled me out. I don't know what it is about, but I had a look on my face like he knew that I was the guy he was going to pray with that day. And so I asked him one simple question. Well, what can I pray for you? And that started about 15 minutes of stories and regrets and specific things that he longed for God to do in his life. And after listening, I said, well, can I pray for you now? Without asking for my permission, this dude grabbed me around the neck and put my face next to his face. It was super weird. I was sitting there thinking to myself, I have not been this close to people I've known for decades, <laughs> right? I mean, I, but nonetheless, but here's the deal. I, I, I was well aware that this may be the only time in my life when I feel the embrace of a homeless man, right? And can I tell you that I felt the presence of God in that moment? There, there was something incredibly special about this man pulling me close. But man, it was messy. It was weird. Dear Christian, there is something about getting close and into the mess that invites God's presence. I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught us, right? Whatever you do for the least of these, you've actually done it for me directly. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. These are messy situations, aren't they? But in this messy situation, this is where we can feel the presence of God. Maybe you felt distant from God. I mean, sure, you pray. You read your Bible, you go to church, maybe you're even in community with other believers. But may I remind you that Jesus is found in messy places where people need him the most? And poverty is not just about homelessness or prison. Those are important things, but there's a poverty of love. There's a poverty where nobody knows you or cares about you. The poorest person you may know, that you know may in fact live in your neighborhood or on your street, maybe even in your own home. So a good neighbor shows mercy even when it's messy. What is that messy situation in your life that you've been trying to avoid? What's that social norm that you need to break in order to be a good neighbor? I can't answer it for you, but God can. So a good neighbor shows mercy, even if it's out of the way, even if it's messy, and no matter the cost, no matter the cost. 
This is perhaps the most compelling aspect of this whole passage for me. The Good Samaritan commits to pay for the bill for this man's stay before he even knows what the bill's gonna be. There are no questions about how he ended up robbed, how he managed his money before this event, or even if he was deserving of the care that he received. None of that was in part of the discussion. He has no idea what it's gonna cost, but he commits to figuring it out. He gives two denarii, which is estimated to cover anywhere from two weeks to two months of a stay in an inn like that. And he commits any more that, this is, that it's going to cost to take care of this man. He says, I'll take care of it. Just, just tell me what it costs. And here's what's really interesting. He, he commits to coming back, doesn't he? Right? He, this is not a one-time event. They're in a relationship now. They're buddies, whether this victim likes that or not. They're now friends. This is going to happen, right? He literally decides to show mercy to this guy no matter the cost, financial or relational. He is with it. He's with this guy. This highlights a very important aspect of compassion and mercy. It is more than what we give. It's giving of ourselves, no matter the cost. I'm very worried that you misheard me just then. So I'm, I'm gonna try this again. I am not saying it doesn't matter what you give. It absolutely matters what you give. If there is no tangible expression of mercy and compassion, it is not mercy and compassion. You need to give. You need to sacrifice. But it's more than that. It is not just giving. It is not just sacrifice. You have to give yourself. The standard is higher than you think. You have to give of your time. You have to give of your money. You have to give of your energy. You have to give of your very self to truly be merciful and compassionate. Compassion literally means to suffer with. It's two words smushed together. Co, meaning with, and passion, meaning to suffer. We like to think of passion as something I'm excited about, but we call it the passion of Christ for a reason. It's the suffering. So compassion is co-suffering, right? Suffering with. This is, this is a ministry of presence. You can't show compassion without being present with somebody else. That is what compassion is. Compassion is about what we give, but it's also about choosing to be with another human being. So we give outwardly, but we also give of ourselves no matter the cost. This is tricky, isn't it? I mean, think about this. You, you have to already be merciful so that when you're in the situation like this, you show mercy. But you are formed into a merciful person as you tangibly act in merciful ways in real events. But what if that's not you? You're not there yet. I don't know about you, but I'm not a very good neighbor. I'm not. When I think about myself, I know I'm not. I'm not the compassionate and merciful person that I long to be. I'm much more like the priest and the Levite than I am the good Samaritan. But I wanna be a good neighbor, don't you? So how, how do we have hope? Only the Holy Spirit's work in us as we open ourselves up to God and his word can we become merciful neighbors. And here is the very, very good news. God has already shown staggering mercy to you despite your being unworthy. You and I are just like the robbers, or just like the, the man left by the robbers for dead. 
And God has been a good neighbor to us, hasn't he? Right, isn't this true? Jesus went out of his way to show us mercy. The Bible tells us that even though he was in the very form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself, taking on human flesh and becoming a human, right? He went out of his way. He left heaven's throne to take on humanity for you and for me. Jesus showed us mercy even when it was messy. He dwelt among sinful people. He experienced being human. He washed dirty feet. He touched contagious lepers. He sweat drops of blood. He took on our sin and our shame on the cross. Even when it was messy, he showed us mercy. And he did this no matter the cost, even though it cost his one and only son, God still showed mercy to you and to me. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God for his staggering mercy to us. So what do we do in response to God's mercy? Romans 12, 1 tells us, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves, our very selves, as living sacrifices we give it all, even if it's out of our way, even if it's messy, no matter the cost. To be a good neighbor like our merciful God, we must go and do likewise. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.